We love to focus on the misery and mortification uh, as we head into an NFL Monday, just because it seems like more fans bond over that than they do over the successes of their team. Uh, Though there are plenty of success stories to go around and some of the major surprises. Uh, We're still working our way through the games on Sunday, week eight. There's a lot of material, a lot of ground to cover, but the Bills now six and one. Most wins in the AFC, though they've got the Jets and the Dolphins just behind them. Neither one has had their bye week yet. And the Patriots won on Sunday as well. We still have two AFC North teams that will do battle on Monday night before we get a picture of that division, but they're both chasing the Baltimore Ravens who are on the top. The Tennessee Titans have won five games in a row after starting out the season with back-to-back losses, and they are the only team in the AFC South above 500. And then the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders get, uh, well, they, they have the unique performances on Sunday They have a little separation. The Raiders, something that hasn't happened to them in nearly a decade, while the Broncos maybe, just maybe, find a little bit of life for their offense, especially in the second half. So we'll cover all of those AFC storylines, plus the Eagles still undefeated, Cowboys and uh, Dak Prescott and Tony Pollard with magnificent performances on Sunday. The Vikings have not missed a beat. They've won five in a row as the rest of the NFC North loses on Sunday. The Falcons are now on top of the NFC South, and that brings us to the NFC West where the Seahawks stand alone. We are live from the Rocket Mortgage Studios. Whether you're looking to purchase a new home or refinance yours, Rocket Mortgage can help you get there for home loan solutions that fit your life. Rocket can. Three tight ends on the right side. The handoff to Walker. He breaks a tackle, comes back to the near side, stumbles across the 10, breaks the tackle. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. We knew it had to happen. We hoped on this drive, and it did. From 16 out, Walker must have broken three tackles. His fifth career touchdown. And that just about puts the nail in against these Giants as Seattle stretches its lead 26-13. to At Steve Rabel on Seahawks Radio in the fourth quarter after another Giants fumble, it certainly does deliver that knockout blow. And the Seahawks are now 5-3. and three. You can find me on Twitter, A-Law Radio, also on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Right now, we're really excited to spend a few minutes in the Pacific Northwest where the Seahawks have got to be one of the most amazing stories of the first eight weeks of the NFL season. Greg Bell of the Seattle News Tribune. Can we agree on that? Uh, Amy, it's the surprise. And anyone who tells you they expected it is lying, including <laughs> Pete Carroll. He didn't expect this. And he couldn't have expected Geno Smith to perform this way, this consistently. Uh, it, <laughs> the trade of Russell Wilson has worked out beyond their wildest dreams. It really has. And it's not just because Denver's going so poorly, but the competition in the summer for to replace Wilson really wasn't a competition. Pete Carroll chose... Geno Smith, almost from the first day of mini camps in the off season, and that was really it. There wasn't a whole lot for Geno for Drew Locke to be able to compete with. Pete Carroll had his mind made up, and Smith has validated that by throwing and making decisions and minimizing mistakes and doing everything he's never done hmm. in ten years in the league. I mean, as you know, this is a guy who's gone eight years between gigs, right? 
he was on benches of four teams for seven seasons before getting this shot to start this year. Uh, he's leading the league in completion percentage at 73%, 13 touchdowns to just three interceptions. He's got the fourth best passer rating in the league. He's up there with guys like Josh Allen and Mahomes. <laughs> Gino Smith is <laughs> about to turn 32 and hadn't played for seven years. There are a ton of more reasons why the Seahawks are in first place, but the foremost one is Geno Smith, not only not just turning it over. Everyone thought, okay, he's going to be Pete Carroll's game manager. He's doing way more than that. And two more touchdown passes for him, and he's clearly developed a rapport with these receivers. But I want to go back to the spring and the summer, because as you point out, Greg, Pete Carroll never wavered from Geno as his starting quarterback. He kept saying, Geno is the guy. Geno has has won whatever competition there actually was. Geno is our QB1. Why was he so sure so quickly? He said the three games that Smith had to start last fall when Russell Wilson finally got hurt and had the finger surgery, that it really won him over, that he trusted Smith. It took a couple games of rust and hadn't played in so long, and they lost the Saints and they lost to Pittsburgh with Smith making mistakes late in the game last year. Then they beat Jacksonville at home 31-7, which a lot of teams did last year in Urban Myers' season. But Carroll said he saw trust, things to trust there of, how he could operate within the offense, how DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett in specifically reacted and built a rapport with him in those three weeks. And he had it in the back of his mind that when Denver gave the Seahawks that offer, they could not refuse. And that's really what happened. Mm. Pete Carroll did not want to trade Russell Wilson. But when Denver came to the combine to John Schneider, the GM, and said, here's who we're going to give you, three players plus four top draft choices, and you're going to have the you're going to have four top picks in the next two drafts in the first and second round. And they said, oh, okay, well, I, I think I can trust Geno Smith enough to build a, a team around doing it his way. And he has. And I, as I said, uh, this has exceeded his expectations. He didn't. They didn't think, and I know they didn't think this because they started the season, Amy, throwing the shortest passes in the league. <laughs> his completions were five, five and a half yards per game in September, and then after they just got boat raced down in San Francisco, 27-7, and they were dinking and dunking, and the 49ers ran right over them. After that game, Carroll said, we're, that's it. No more of the dink and dunk. Let's trust Smith to throw the ball down the field. And they can do that now because they have a better offensive line. They signed Austin Blythe to be the new center, the former Super Bowl starter with the Rams, after years of just decay and negligence at center. And they drafted and went all in on two rookies at right and left tackle. Dave Lucas, a third-round pick, first-round pick, ninth overall pick, the highest pick Seattle's had in 12 years is Charles Cross at left tackle. Amy, those are the, only the third rookie offensive tackles to start week one of an NFL season in 52 years. Wow. That's how rare it is. And they went, just like with Smith from day one, Carroll went all in on the rookie tackles from day one. He went all in on Tariq Woolen as a cornerback as a fifth-round pick from day one of training camp. And he co-leads the NFL in interceptions right now. I know that the, for a lot of people on the East Coast, that the United States continental U.S. ends at the Hudson River and that Brian Dable is probably going to win the coach of the year for what he's doing with the Giants. But what Pete Carroll has been doing out here in South Alaska has been remarkable mm. this year. Oh, gosh, I've been saying for years, Pete Carroll could coach a water ball to a pair of socks. I mean, he's, <laughs> he can get the most out of his guys. And even when they don't have the talent, that's what's so impressive is that somehow they all buy in. So, Greg, just to clarify, before we move on and talk more about this game and what the Seahawks are doing, 
You're telling me that Pete Carroll and John Schneider were not looking to move Russell Wilson, but this was an offer they felt like they couldn't pass up? Well, Pete Carroll was the last one to go. John Schneider had made his mind up he could do this. And the, the contract, imp- impending contract at the end of 2023 at $50 million a year, the Seahawks, Schneider was not keen on that. But it took Pete Carroll, the last one, to be convinced. And he was convinced when the Denver gave him that offer. And it, it blew him away. Mm. So I'm not saying that, that, that they didn't want to do it, but it became a viable option once Pete Carroll saw what the Broncos were offering. And certainly there have been contributions from guys like Noah Fant as well as Shelby Harris, who made a huge play today. Harris was great today. Yeah. yeah. Greg Bell is with us here after hours on CBS Sports Radio, covers the Seahawks and this unbelievable first half for the News Tribune. So overall, you mentioned Geno Smith, but there are certainly other factors. The offensive line is better. How are you seeing this team come together as the only squad with a winning record in the NFC West, which is crazy <laughs> all by itself? That's true. The Niners are four and four. The defending Super Bowl champs are three and four. Yeah. Arizona's three and five. The the run game and offensive line has changed the offense. Geno Smith's job is so much better because he has time to throw, and he has time to throw because defenses have to honor the run. When Rashad Penny went down with a season-ending knee injury in the first half at New Orleans, it looked like Pete Carroll's plans were shot. Kenneth Walker, their second-round pick, had really not played up to that point, Amy, because he didn't know that he had messed up a couple plays in the backfield going the wrong way, didn't know the the, um, playbook as well as he should have because he was set back for a month from August to early September with a hernia issue. And then he wasn't a great pass blocker because they never asked him to do that at Michigan State when he was romping all over everybody. But then he was forced into that role. It was no more of, of... easing him in he had to be the rb1 once the rashad penny went down and that happened in the second half of the new orleans game and he went 64 yards for a touchdown in that yes. game. <laughs> now he's had five touchdowns in the three and a half games since penny got hurt his lateral quickness amy is I mean, they haven't had that out here since kurt warner and that is lofty praise in seattle wow. and that's 30 years ago that's the last back i've seen out here who runs that quickly with lateral cuts that make guys miss the game before this, uh, at the Chargers, he wasn't—he was facing unblocked Chargers in the backfield, and at least on a half dozen plays, turned negative plays into five, six, ten-yard gains because of his lateral quickness. The touchdown today in the Giants that sealed the game was a lateral move on the linebacker in the open field. He—he he compensates for guys being not blocked for how lateral quick he is. So Pete Carroll can play the way he wanted to with Rashad Penny, the way he was going to before. Chris Carson was forced to retire with the neck surgery. Kenneth Walker is quicker than both of them laterally. Wow. And it's and it's a new challenge for defenses that are trying to play Pete Carroll's run to have a back who's that laterally quick. Tyler Lockett's a longtime Seahawk and certainly beloved there. He's a captain. And he's the story within the story on Sunday. He has the fumble that leads to the easy Saquon Barkley touchdown allows the Giants to tie the game early and then later has that touchdown pass hit him in the face mask it goes through his hands he's distraught on the sidelines everybody from Geno to Pete Carroll to others are over there talking to him so of course they're going to go back to him he hauls in that 33 yarder uh, in the fourth quarter what did Tyler have to say about this game and the ups and downs of it all he said he just had to breathe uh, it was shocking because we've never seen that. It is so rare for him to drop a pass, let alone a touchdown pass off his face mask. And as you said, 
it was the second touchdown he'd really lost because he had given away the one the Giants on the two-yard line. He also had a third touchdown. Uh, he didn't get a second foot down in bounds in the first half on That's another right. great pass by Smith. Yes, he always makes those plays. He's Mister Trodag Swag, as his former teammate Nate Burleson would call it. It it was really a stunning game from him. But having said that, I even remarked in the press box, I might even put it on Twitter, I think it did, that you just knew from Lockett's eight-year career that he was going to come back with a big play at the end of the game. That's the way he is, and it's the way Seattle, the play callers trust him, no matter who the quarterback is. Now it's Geno Smith trust him. Russell Wilson always trusted him. He's such a great innate sense route runner. And on the touchdown pass, it was a he saw – uh, Jackson, the cornerback, sitting. He's basically squatting on a 10-yard in route. It was first and 10, heading into the red zone. He saw Jackson 10 yards off of him. He figured he was going to squat on the in route that was a called route, 10 yards at the, at the sticks. So he motioned to Smith for a double move. He's going to stop at 10 yards and then take off past Jackson when Jackson sits, and that's exactly what happened. Touchdown, game over. They on the sidelines, what they had told him, Amy, <laughs> Carroll came over and said he told him, you're the best receiver I've ever seen. Oh. And Quandre Diggs is a great friend of his going back to when they were boyhood, childhood friends. They grabbed him in the back and said, stay great. You're always great. And that's exactly what he was. DK Metcalf, by the way, walked up to him and said, what did you have for breakfast this morning? <laughs> <laughs> to get his mind off of it. Oh, that's amazing. That's an old wide receiver trick. This team's really fun right now. They have a lot of outspoken, outgoing guys who are just having a really good time. And as you mentioned, they're all turned over, and most of them are really young. Tyler right. Lockett is one of the oldest guys on the team at 30, 32 years old. You've mentioned a couple of times that these were not Pete Carroll's expectations to be 5-3 and three at this point. Clearly, the division hasn't played out the way a lot of people expected with the three teams going to the playoffs last year, two of them ending up in the NFC Championship. What were Carroll's expectations to start the year, his hopes and dreams for this season? Well, he thought they could get to the playoffs, Amy. I'm not saying he didn't think they could be 5-3, and three, but you're right. I, don't, I know he didn't think the Rams were going to be where they are right now. Uh, he thought the 49ers and the Rams would be running out, and 5-3 and three would probably be good enough for maybe third place halfway through the season, and here they are in first. So that, no doubt that has helped Seattle. What he didn't expect was Geno Smith's excellence. He thought Smith could win by not turning the ball over, and that's ultimately why he kept choosing him over Drew Locke. He was afraid. He kept saying Drew Locke had a huge high upside, yeah. but that he was afraid of him. He called him a gunslinger. Yes. He was afraid of the potential mistakes he could make. And as long as Smith wasn't making mistakes, he was going to be the starter. But <laughs> no way, no way did he say, well, <laughs> Smith will eight year, weeks into the season will lead the league in passing percentage, mm. 73%, and he'll have plus 10 touchdowns, interceptions, and he'll be fourth in the league in pass rating up there with Mahomes, Josh Allen. No. And that's what I mean by this season has exceeded it. The other thing that has exceeded his expectations, certainly com- different than September, is the defense. They were just getting boat raced by teams, especially in the run game. They were 32nd, and they would have been 33rd if there were 33 teams in the league against the run. And then they just changed their 3-4 to be more attacking. Usually a 3-4 is a gap scheme. You have to read and react. Run fits are crucial. They weren't doing that early in the season. The front three, four, five, six guys, including the linebackers, weren't in the right places. They were out of assignments, missing gaps. So after the New Orleans game, when they got run up on by Kamara and Taysom Hill, they started attacking more. 
And they said, be less reactive. Don't worry so much about gap responsibility. Beat your guy and go find the ball. And so now teams are expecting a more 3-4 gap control defense, and what they're getting is almost a bare front with centers and guards covered and guys shooting gaps and going into the backfield. Wow. They, they really have changed run defense the last three weeks, and that really has changed the entire defense. It's forced guys like Daniel Jones today to be in obvious passing situations, which is why they got five sacks of him. Uh, it, it has really transformed them defensively to be able to stop the run and force teams into throwing and getting sacks and pressure on quarterbacks. Well, and Saquon Barkley, a season low, 53 yards despite 20 attempts. So they were committed to stopping the run. He's been so good to this point in the season. Greg Bell covers the Seahawks for the News Tribune, is with us from Seattle here on CBS Sports Radio. Can't even imagine how many miles Pete Carroll logs marching up and down the sidelines (laughs) during a game. I know that one moment where he accidentally ran into the official and the official flagged him for it. And he's like, no, but he's always moving like he's got some place to go. It's unbelievable the energy that man has the air monarchs probably have a hole in him it probably has seven or eight different <laughs> pairs he ran amy what you probably didn't see on television in the first half today he ran all the way to the 10 yard line late in the first half and it looked like he was about to call timeout but he let the play go i think it might have been a fourth down or third down play it was it was a giant's fourth down play now that i remember it and he ran all the way to the 10 yard line we thought oh he's about to call timeout and I, he didn't call timeout. It made me think he just ran down there to run down there <laughs> <laughs> to get some of his energy up. He, he chomps gum like his jaw's going to fall off. <laughs> He's like that at practice. When they do special teams practices, Amy, at the beginning of every practice, he runs from the kickoff point all the way to the end zone, 70, 65 yards. And then he waits a kick or so, and then he goes from that goal line to the opposite goal line 100 yards. Ugh. And he'll do this from training camp through the end of the season 10, 15 times a, game, a day at 71 years old. He was in doing the bag drills with the team the other day, uh, jumping over the bag. They do bag drills to start of every practice. He's jumping over the bag, shuffling My with gosh. the offensive lineman. He has been noticeably more animated and energetic this season. I think the challenge has invigorated him. And I definitely, after his comments today, after I asked him about, has this been beyond maybe your expectations? He really is loving shoving it up the doubters (laughs) and shutting them up. Uh, He really, he even mentioned today, for all of you who said that football had passed me by and Mm -hmm. I run too much, we don't know what we're doing out here. You're full of crap. That was his quote. (laughs) We're just fine. He said, we're just fine out here. Don't worry about us. (laughs) And he is reveling in being doubted and cast aside as as passe and leather helmet era. And here he is with a brand-new quarterback, a brand-new defense. He's completely changed his system. He's been running a 4-3 cover three since the Richard Nixon was the president. And now he changes to a 3-4. And they're in first place. Yeah, it's early. they still got nine games left, but, man, he is reveling in how it's going so far privately and now today publicly. And does the team love it? They do. And you talk to players who have played at Seattle and gone to other, other places, players who come to Seattle from other places, they all talk about the player-first environment, the free-throw shooting contest, the team meetings, <laughs> the Will Ferrell and Snoop Dogg and Drake visits to the practices and uh, the, the blaring music. I mean, the wall shake. Our media room is right next to the team meeting room. And every time there's a team meeting, the computer shakes off the table. The lap, my laptop just bounces off the table. 
My kids don't play music that loud. They're teenagers. <laughs> it, it, I couldn't even get an interview done after immediately after the game today. There was techno music playing so loud. I thought it was at a rave. I actually had to just walk outside and go to the press <laughs> conference room because it became useless. I mean, it's all because they're winning. It's not like that when sure. they're losing, of course. But, uh, yeah, this season has been extra fun for them because they all knew what the expectations were, and they all knew they'd been written off. You can find Greg on Twitter at G Bell Seattle covers these Hawks and crazy Pete Carroll. It's, it's a good kind of crazy for the Seattle News Tribune. It's great to catch up with you. I, I mean, I feel like we're going to have to put your number on speed dial if the Seahawks keep <laughs> doing this. So thank you for a few minutes. Thanks, Amy. It's great to talk to you again. Have a good one. So according to Greg Bell, it is the story of the NFL season. And I'm going to disagree with him. Obviously, the majority of the United States does not think that football only occurs east of the Hudson River. That's, I just let that one go. That annoys me just a little bit. But I I do think that it's interesting that Brian Dayball is getting a ton of credit for turning the Giants around. But Kevin O'Connell's not getting as much credit or attention for turning the Vikings around. And how about Pete Carroll? I think there's a lot of attention on him because he's one of the best coaches and longest tenured coaches in the NFL. And like I told Greg, I've said this for years, he can make something out of nothing. They've done a rebuild and another rebuild, and they made the right decision on Russell Wilson and guys buy in. Sometimes buying in and being on the same page and caring about one another is more important and more valuable than having uber-talented athletes. And so there's something to this Seattle thing. It's brewing. But yeah, there certainly are some early candidates for Coach of the Year, but it's week eight. Let's not get carried away. Let's tap the brakes. On Twitter, ALAW Radio. Our show Twitter is After Hours CBS. We'll have a new Monday mortification poll up for you momentarily. Oh, another M word. Uh, On our YouTube channel, we've got a brand new video in honor of Halloween. We tried our hands at pumpkin carving. It didn't go so well. Uh, And, well, that's my opinion. I don't know that that Jay agrees with me. Uh, And then also on our Facebook page, too, lots of you weighing in. You'll have the opportunity to vote there for Miserable and Mortified on Monday. We are still, still such a long way from the finish line. One undefeated team remains. The Eagles back to work after their bye, but the Dallas Cowboys are not letting them get away. It's at- Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's gonna go! Alvarez ties the game! Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. After Hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Hurts takes it. He fakes. He's back. He's looking. He is going deep for A.J. Brown, who leaps, comes down with the football. It's a touchdown. A.J. Brown goes wide to the far side. Quest Watkins in the slot. Devontae Smith wide to the near side. Now, Hurts goes into the gun. Hurts takes the snap. 
He's back. He lets it fly. He is going deep. And it is caught for a touchdown. A.J. Brown! Hurts looks. Fakes. Still looking. He is going deep down the far side. And it is A.J. Brown again! Another touchdown! 29 yards! This is After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Day AJ Brown. It's great when a plan comes together, isn't it? <laughs> Nick Sirianni referencing the plan after this Eagles victory over the Steelers. So Philadelphia coming off a bye, and you couldn't have drawn it up any better. Merrill Reese with the call of AJ Brown's three touchdowns as the Eagles stay undefeated. It's after hours with Amy Lawrence on CBS Sports Radio. Eagles already up 21-10 at the half because Jalen had those three touchdown passes to what is rapidly becoming his favorite target. Over 110 yards for A.J. Brown in the first half alone. And how about this? This stood out to me as I'm watching the game, as I'm looking at the stat sheet. They never got into the red zone. In the first half, they didn't need to. They were all chunk plays. And then what does Philadelphia do but go deep again right out of the half? This time, Jalen Hurts goes 34 yards to Zach Pascal. And so, get this. The TD passes for Jalen, 39 yards, 27 yards, 29 yards, and then 34 yards. Hello, Earth, to the Pittsburgh secondary. Oh, my gosh. It was a tough day for Kenny Pickett, but obviously this is not on him. When the Steelers' defense is giving up the type of plays that they are, and I know they've got some injuries and defections, but I know they've got some starters out there too, and all of these guys get paid, and this was embarrassing. It looked like Philadelphia had a ton of energy, which would would certainly make sense coming out of a bye, but that all Pittsburgh did was chase and get caught off guard all game long. And so Jalen's picking them apart. AJ's running free. Fly, AJ, fly. And of course, that puts everybody else from Pittsburgh on its heels. So there's a sack and a fumble of Kenny Pickett by Javon Hargrove. Hargrave, excuse me. Hargrave. Two snaps later, Miles Sanders gets into the end zone. This is a total bloodbath. Philadelphia has 401 yards of total offense, 7 of 12 on third down. Hello, where are you, defense? Jalen himself, four touchdowns because he also got into the end zone on the ground. And, or no, I'm sorry. No, I take that back. Miles Sanders was into the end zone on the ground. Jalen had the four passing touchdowns. So they were able to score it well. The way that Jalen ran this offense, his QB rating was better than 140. And so it was, I don't want to say a perfect plan because that's never the case, as Christian McCaffrey told us earlier, but you couldn't have asked for a better re-entry after their bye week, especially when this bye was relatively early. You want to make the most of it, of course, but you also want to come out of the bye the same way that you were playing beforehand. And not all athletes want to break when things are going so well. So A.J. Brown, early and often, and Nick Sirianni had a front row seat. That was a big, big time game. It was special because I was on the same sideline with him, right? Uh, and, you know, just 
so much credit to Howie and his staff to, to get that done. And man, because he, he makes he makes us so much better. He's he's just doing a great job. Jalen and him had an instant can have an instant connection on the field. We know they had the connection off the field, and he had a big time game for us today. And uh, it was good to see that. Kept focused to playing to the standard and, and chasing that. You know what I mean? And uh, hell of a game by AJ. You know he making big time plays. I know he wants something back for sure. Um, but hell of a game by him. He knows what I want to accomplish, and I know he want to accomplish. So when you're playing for somebody, you know, that you love, you know what I'm saying, that you call family, it's a different meaning behind it, you know. You know, I know I can't let him down. I love that. I love the fact that A.J. doesn't want to let Jalen Hurts down. He came from a winning team, right? Came from the Tennessee Titans, where they were the number one seed last year, where they've been to the playoffs the last three years in a row. He was adamant that he deserved more in terms of a contract, that he deserved more in terms of respect. Well, the Eagles have turned him into their number one wideout, and obviously it makes life easier for everybody else, like Devontae Smith, like Miles Sanders, and even like Jalen. The defense can only do so much, and in this case, the Pittsburgh Steelers defense just waved the white towel and really didn't bother to do anything. Some fundamental things are falling short. Um, we got to keep a lid on it. If you don't keep a lid on it in the NFL, man, you don't give a chance to self. You don't give yourself a chance to play. Um, we didn't do that. We need to look each other, you know, in the eyes and, and get it turned around. You know, we're only going to be able to do it. You know, coaches can say whatever they want. Everyone else in the media and, and fans can say what they want. But at the end of the day, it's it's down to us. Mike Tomlin said, "Keep a lid on it." That is amazing. I, that's my new favorite phrase. About we got to keep a lid on it about giving up these deep shots. Yeah, it's one thing to protect the goal line and protect the red zone, but what if your opponent never needs to get there? Keep a lid on it, he said. If you don't keep a lid on it, you got no shot to win in the NFL. Keep a lid on it. How often do you hear coaches talking about not giving up the big plays, not giving up the chunk yardage? Well, that's pretty much all the Eagles had on Sunday. While the Steelers fall to two and six, Kenny Pickett sacked six times. So the defense for Philadelphia was just as active and just as productive as was the offense. We feed off each other. We're brothers. So if one person eat, we let them eat. If we all eat. At the end of the day, it's like I'll it's eat. a plate for everybody. It's not a plate for one person. So when you got that type of mindset, you just go out there and play for each other and then let everything just fall where they look. I'm just here for the food analogies. That's C.J. Gardner-Johnson. So, yeah, all hands on deck for the Philadelphia Eagles, who, again, continue to be the only undefeated team remaining. Say no more. There is plenty of misery and mortification to go around. We try to spread it out from week to week, which is why you won't see the Green Bay Packers in this poll. They were in it last week, and we knew it was going to be tough sledding into Orchard Park on Sunday night. But we've definitely given you a sampling, and you can write in your own vote or ballot If you need, if you feel the need, we always get calls for the Detroit Lions. (laughs) They actually jumped out to a 14-0 lead. This is not on the offense. Speaking of defenses, just just wave the white flag. So we're going to get to Detroit eventually. And the way that Miami used them to tune up. But we've talked about the Eagles and the Giants. In the NFC East, we should get to the other half of the division. The Dallas Cowboys. You want three touchdowns? 
We got another player with three touchdowns in that game. And then the Washington Commanders, rut row. No losing teams in the NFC East now. Through eight weeks, no losing teams. Transformed right before our very eyes. I love it when the NFL makes zero sense. It's After Hours on CBS Sports Radio. We've got your poll up on Twitter, After Hours CBS, or on our Facebook page. Either way, just look for Homer shrinking back into the hedge. Homer in the hedge. That's your indication that it's time to talk misery and mortification as we morph into a Monday. Oh, all of those M words. You are listening to the After Hours Podcast. Handoff, Pollard stars a hole on the left side, 10, touch right five. Walk the dog, you Tony Pollard. Walk that dog. Touchdown, Dallas. First and goal at the six. Prescott under center. I formation, McEwen, the fullback. Pollard is the deep back. Handoff, Pollard, big hole, coming right, bang, punch, touchdown. Tony Pollard, third and one. Handoff, Pollard, coming left. Foot in the ground, first down and more, 50. Good block from the tight end, sideline, keep running, 10, 5, touchdown, Tony Pollard. It's a football feeding frenzy, After Hours with Amy Lawrence. Brad, shame on Cowboys radio, as in the Dallas Cowboys. And they almost, almost had to win this game twice against Chicago on Sunday. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. So Dallas races out to a 28-7 lead. They have touchdowns on their first four possessions. And that's Dak, who's got one on the ground, three through the air. They don't have Ezekiel Elliott, but you wouldn't have known because their offense definitely was not suffering. So up 28-17 at the break. But then Chicago, fighting, scratching, clawing, pulls within five. You maybe saw this sequence where Khalil Herbert seemingly fumbled, but the, the ball and the call were reversed. And so later he's able to cap that drive, that same drive, you're going from the best of time or the worst of times to the best of times. He's able to cap that drive with his 12-yard TD run. And even though the two-point conversion fails, you've got the Bears then within five points. Now, as much as Tony Pollard deserves a ton of credit, and I love the fact that he is game for every opportunity. He makes the most of every chance the Cowboys give him. You want him to be the bell cow because Zeke is out? Great. He'll do it. And he makes a, a, a huge impact, it seems like, anytime he has opportunities and has multiple carries, and the Cowboys are featuring him over Zeke. And Zeke's dealt with a bunch of injuries himself. And so Pollard and the run game is massive. But in case you didn't notice, and this blew me away, I could tell both teams were racking up the rushing yards, but did you know they combined for 440 yards on the ground? The Cowboys had 200, but the Bears had 240. That's insane. I am going to have to look in the NFL history books and figure out when we've ever had a game or the last time we've had a game in which both teams rushed for over 200 yards 
We're not talking about three yards in a cloud of dust here. We're, we're talking about the new high-flying, powerfully explosive offenses in the NFL, though this year we haven't really seen them as much. But the two teams had 440 yards rushing, which meant, in essence, that kind of canceled each other out. What made a difference? The Dallas defense putting its foot down multiple times during this game. And as I say, the Bears were able to creep back in. But I love the Dallas answer. Once the Cardinals pull within five, Cardinals, sorry. Once the Bears pull within five, the Cardinals did their own bit of coming back against Minnesota. (laughs) We'll have to talk about that game. It's all jumbled together. One brain, so much football. So (laughs) once the Bears pull within five, You see that the Cowboys go back to work offensively, yes. And they put together their own 75-yard drive. It's quicker pace, under three minutes. They're back in the end zone. Along the way to Tony Pollard's second score, you've got Dalton Schultz, who's catching passes from Dak. And on the very next Chicago possession is when we see the defense put its stamp down and say, enough is enough. So it's third and 16 at the Chicago 19. Fields in the gun. Back to throw. Parsons coming. He flushes out left. He stops. He dumps it short to the 25. Still moving Montgomery. Fumble the ball. Recovered by Dallas. Micah Parsons is on the ball. And he's still still alive. He's still running. He's still moving with the ball to the 10, to the 5, to the goal line. Parsons recovered a fumble and brought it all the way back. No one touched him down, Brad. No there was one. a Bears offensive player who actually jumped over Micah Parsons when Parsons was on the ground with the ball, and I don't think he made contact. I have watched this sequence so many times. You know who the player is that hurdled over Micah Parsons when he's on the ground? Justin Fields. Fantastic athleticism. Yippee, the guy can hurdle. No one touches him. Fields actually goes out of his way not to touch him. Talk about a a mental lapse. Oh, somebody else will get him. Somebody else already got him. Somebody else must have touched him. I don't freaking care. Put 11 sets of hands on the man's body. Do something. Justin Fields hurdles over him. Micah Parsons has the presence of mind to get up and start weaving his way through traffic. This has got to be one of my favorite plays of the entire NFL Sunday because it's so wacky and football is nuts. Brad Sham does a great job. Brad Sham and Babe Laufenberg do a great job on Cowboys Radio. It's after hours here on CBS Sports Radio. So, yes, a 36-yard touchdown. Even after he falls down, no one puts a finger on him. I don't even think anybody breathed on him. Her, uh, Fields wanted no part of Micah Parsons, and Dallas is able to tack on the defensive TD. The Cowboys go four for four in the red zone, nine of 11 on third down. How about that? And Pollard, of course, has the three touchdowns. But this was all in, and Jack looked good in his second game back. We have that that, that confidence heading into heading into the bye week that we're, we can win in any way that we need to, whether it's the defense going out there winning the games, whether it's us running the ball or whether it's throwing the ball or playing a damn close to complete game like we did today. 
Six and two's okay. You know, I prefer eight and zero. Oh. Okay. You know, that's just that's just me. You know, I don't know who else agrees with that. But uh, you know, it's cool. But like, we just gotta keep going. You know, it's so much football left. That's Micah Parsons. Six and two is eight. Six and two's okay. But I prefer eight and zero. Oh. I don't know who else agrees with me. Maybe they disagree with me. <laughs> I love that. That's just me. You know, I don't know who else agrees with that. Micah Parsons is the best. Uh, Mike McCarthy has taken a lot of flack. He's taken a lot of criticism. But, man, they were all kinds of fired up at AT AT&T Stadium on Sunday. I think it's always, you know, a sign of a team, you know, hopefully starting to catch catch a little bit of their groove. Because, you know, it's just like anything. To win in this league, you, you have to have it in all three phases. Obviously, you are disappointed in the loss uh, today. Um, give credit to the Dallas Cowboys and their coaching staff uh, and their players uh, played a, well, a very a good game today. So uh, credit to them. We're going to play teams that have good rosters and that that's part of football. And if you want to be good, guess what? You got to play and compete against those guys. So um, we just got to execute better. So after the Bears were able to, first of all, stake a lead against the Patriots, then lose that lead when we saw the whole Bailey Zappi phenomenon replacing Mac Jones on Monday Night Football. The Bears then end up winning the game against New England. But on a short work week, whatever energy, juice, momentum they thought they had squashed like a bug in Dallas. And so the Cowboys are at 6-2, and two, tied with the Giants behind the Eagles at 7-0. and oh. The NFC Beast on After Hours CBS Sports Radio.